Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kellyville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Well, here we are again. Another week has gone by um, and we are recording another podcast. Um, my name's Beck, and I'm the host today. And with me today is Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello, Beck. How are you going? Outside this Beck podcast, uh, thinking podcasts, mm. what, what else do you listen to Christian-wise? Do you listen to other podcasts? I do. I want to, oh, you've put me on the spot and I'm like, I listen to heaps. I listen to John Dixon's podcast. No, get that cricket away. <laughs> Give me a chance to respond. Well, he's quick. No <laughs> microphone sure and he's, he wants to insert himself already. <laughs> <laughs> Keep those crickets away. Um, I listen to John Dixon's podcast. What's it called? Undeceptions. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I listen to that one. Um, I also listen pretty religiously, so to speak. Um, to Preston Sprinkle's podcast, oh, yes. Theology in the Raw. Yes. He is prolific. He releases yes. like two podcasts a week, so I can never wow. keep up, but I find that a really good one. How about yeah. you? No, I just listen to golf podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Revealed. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't. I don't. I listen to um, uh, uh, a stack of different podcasts. Um, uh, Steve McAlpine has a podcast in the Undeceptions Network. Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh, DeLorean philosophy. Oh, I've listened um, to that one yeah, once or twice. So, um, I've listened to that. I often listen, I, I, I listen to the Reach Australia ones, <laughs> the one thing in Reach Australia podcasts. Um, yeah, Tony Morgan, um, uh, the Unstuck Group, uh, listen to Andy Stanley's, uh, podcast. Wouldn't necessarily endorse all his theology, but, um, uh, he's always stimulating. Mm. Uh, Karen Newhoff's leadership podcast. Uh, Craig Goshell's. Anyways, I, I've got a stack that I do listen mm, to. It's not mm. all just golf, James. Oh, you've got no <laughs> microphone, can't respond. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> oh, there'll be no um, chat bot, whatever yeah, it's called. No chat bot responses no this chat week. No chat bot responses this week. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. All right, let's talk about what was said on Sunday. Um, Dave, what did you talk about on Sunday? Uh, so we dived into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, mm-hmm. and uh, we saw Paul's surprising start. Uh, and, uh, as you go through and dive into one Corinthians, uh, as we keep saying, there's lots and lots of issues that we, we're going to come across, uh, some heavy ones, some interesting ones, some ones are going to stretch us, because uh, the Corinthians are going through a lot of different things. Mm. And, uh, given all they're going through, the way Paul starts his letter, I think is, 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 uh, a one of deep encouragement, mm. uh, for them. And so he, he talks and says, you guys are, are sanctified, you're, you're good, but you're still called to be holy. Uh, he thanks God for them. And, uh, then he dives in and talks about the, the unity that he'd love to see within the church, mm. uh, that they agree with one another. And really the agreement is around, let's, let's preach Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and let's preach the gospel and, you know, the, the cross of Christ is the content of it. Mm-hmm. And he really wants the, the people to focus there and unite around, uh, who Jesus is. So that's, that's what we looked at on Sunday. Okay, great. Well, we did have quite a few questions come in, which has been great. Um, the first question we're going to address is sort of looking at the training of the New Testament church, I guess. Mm. Um, so the question is, when the disciples and Paul were spreading the gospel, they called so many people to Christ. I know they sent um, they were sent letters and mentored by the disciples and Paul, but these days it takes years to be trained as a minister for mission and to shepherd the flock although many are involved in that work who aren't trained in those ways. 
How did the early church receive enough knowledge and understanding to function and flourish? Did they just make do with that little information or was the guiding of the Holy Spirit more practical at the time? It's a fascinating question. Mm. Um, I've never thought about it I, exactly, until now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, there's, there's probably a couple of things to say. Um, uh, so, you know, Mark's gospel, um, mm-hmm. you know, was written sort of, you know, probably the earliest gospel uh, that, that, that we have, uh, which was in circulation, you know, probably within 30, 40 years of, mm-hmm. of Jesus' ministry. Um, being completed. So they, they had something to interact with in terms of understanding who Jesus was. Mm. Um, but the, the, you know, by far the oral tradition, uh, dominated how people passed on information. Mm. Uh, you know, today we, we live in a digital age where, you know, you read things, you in Google things, you, well, you YouTube things basically, mm-hmm. um, or you chat, you know, chatbot things these days, <laughs> uh, whatever it is. I can't even remember what it's called. Um, <laughs> We're too old, Dave. I know, I know. Uh, and, uh, but in, in the culture of those days was uh, traditions were passed on through, you know, the telling of stories. Uh, and um, uh, speaking of John Dixon, he, he has done a lot of uh, research on uh, the transmission of information via um, oral traditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he sort of, you know, because people say, isn't it a bit like Chinese whispers though? Mm, mm. Uh, don't the, doesn't all the information get lost? Uh, and, and the answer is no. Mm. Uh, it was actually held quite tightly. Um, and so in terms of, you know, that that's one way information sort of passes uh, to one another. But as you go through and read um, uh, more so the pastoral epistles, you start to see that Paul took people with him. Mm. Uh, and he, you know, uh, Timothy, as we spoke about last week, uh, was like his apprentice. Mm. Uh, and, you know, he was training him in ministry. He was giving him opportunities, uh, encouraging him, sort of showing him how to lead, saying, you know, and Paul's saying, imitate me mm. as I imitate Christ, uh, mm. all those sorts of things. So uh, I, I would say it wasn't as uh, formal as it is today, where mm. you go to a university, you get imparted information. We have things like MTS apprenticeships. Mm. Uh, it wasn't as formal as that, but I think there were certain things around in which people were entrusted uh, with um, uh, to be you know, uh, ministers. Yeah. Yeah. Things you want to add in, Beck? Uh, when I was reflecting on this question, I was sort of also reflecting on what Christianity was during the early church, like the New Testament church. And thinking about um, the book of Acts and how really Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. Um, and so a lot of the early converts, to well, all of the very early converts to Christianity were Jews. And the Jews are people of the book, right? They understand mm. the Old Testament scriptures. So I think you've got a pretty big head start um, as a Jewish Christian in the New Testament church to understand the gospel because you understand the Old Testament. Um, and then I was thinking about in Acts 7, how there's that dispersion of the the church from Jerusalem. And a lot of those guys would have been Jewish Christians. And they're the ones that, even though they're unnamed, were probably the first to really take the gospel to the regions um, further than um, further than Jerusalem. Um, and so there they already have a lot of training in the mm. scriptures, even though not in the New Testament, because it hadn't been written yet, mm. but certainly in the Old Testament. So... I don't know if that it answers the question, but I think sometimes as Christians in the modern age, we forget our Jewish roots yes. and just th- there wasn't really Judaism and Christianity in the book of Acts. It's all kind of 
Judaism and the Jews, like um, like the disciples, the apostles, um, are going out trying to tell all the Jews, hey, we've found the Messiah mm. um, and our Old Testament scriptures find fulfillment in this. So this is like the 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 fulfilled Judaism. It obviously doesn't work out that way because there is a split um, from the Jews and Christianity. But, yeah, I just thought that was um, – and yeah, kind uh, of relevant. Yeah, I think it's really relevant and really and sparked a couple of things for me. Like you've got Acts uh, six, where you know they they have the sort of division of labour between those going to set aside to wait tables and, mm. and those who are going to sort of minister to uh, in in the word. So uh, there were structures being set up, and mm. then you get to places like um, I was just going to Titus. Mm-hmm. Um, where Paul says to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on to give the qualification for elders. Mm. And uh, Timothy does the same with overseers and Mm. deacons Mm. uh, in 1 Timothy. So there's structures being put in place relatively early on Mm. uh, in order that, you know, here's what, if you want to be an elder, you want to be an, an overseer, there's certain qualifications you need to live up to, mm. uh, as, as a Christian. So, um, and you know, you'd need to have some sort of, you'd need to meet that criteria. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Paul is, is asking them to do. Mm, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Great question. Mm. And I think the idea about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, um, is also a really important insight because we all have the Holy Spirit mm. as Christians. Um, and I was thinking about Paul And what he says in Galatians um, chapter one, he talks about he received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. So God is revealing himself to people um, wholesale, I guess you could say. Um, He has the power to do so. Um, So I think that absolutely the Holy Spirit was involved in the early church and making sure that that gospel message Mm. stayed accurate and true. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so let's have a little look at church unity in Corinth. Mm. Um, and in the passage we discussed on Sunday, was it this idea of people following Paul or following Peter or following Apostle, uh, Apollos. Sorry. Um, so what does it mean to follow Paul or Peter? Are they worshipping these church leaders or just ignoring one in favour of the other? What does it mean that they're saying, I follow Paul? Yeah, and I think uh, there was um, uh, there's an aspect here of uh, as I said on on Sunday of power plays uh, within mm-hmm. the church to sort of go uh, I you know I I want to follow that particular leader uh, and uh, we're not given the broader context mm. uh, in terms of exactly what it looks like mm. um, but you know Paul picks it up again in chapter three. Uh, in terms of, you know, people are quarrelling over these things. Uh, and so, and it seems to be, you know, and Paul goes on to say, um, you know, there's people who are following him because of they baptised him mm. uh, or they were instrumental in, in him coming to, in them coming to Christ. And, and obviously these, these men and these people have had ministry in the Corinthian church mm. uh, across and over the years. And so people have uh, wrongly placed their allegiance towards these particular people and uh, sort of, you know, potentially either playing them off from one another or, or however you sort of see power plays and, you know, factions and divisions and sort of go, actually, I, I'm more with, with Peter. I'm a Peter sort of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if that other guy gets up there, 
uh, I'm I'm not going to listen to him because you know I was baptized by Paul, mm. uh, and you know you you were baptized by Apollos, you know Beck. So um, mm. you know you're probably quite not as good as I am. Like it's it's probably along those lines. Yeah, there's uh, a competitive as, spirit in it, isn't there? Yeah, it's yeah. My, it's my dad's better than your dad vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so th- there's those sorts of things I, I think that are that are going in play. So you know, with the question, are they worshiping these church leaders or just ignoring one in favour of the other? The answer might be yes mm. um, to to both those things. Mm. Um, you know, just elevating them above one another. Uh, whereas Paul comes in and sort of goes, actually, they're just servants. Yeah, they're just doing the task that God has given them uh, to preach the word, uh, and and you guys are elevating them above one another. You know, and that's, that's not right because your allegiance needs to be to Jesus. hundred mm, percent. I think this is where some of that cultural context comes in handy as well mm. that we were talking about last time. Um, so in the historical context, um, in Corinth, people would come in like orators and yes. sophists would come in and like give their big speeches and people go, yeah, I like that guy. He's one of, you know, I'm one of his, like I'm going to follow him. Yeah. And so pe- like wealthy families would align themselves with one of these great speakers and seek to kind of get some status off aligning themselves with them yep. and then be in competition with mm. people that followed a different orator. Um, so what the Corinthians are kind of doing is importing that culture into the church and going, mm. well, I'm one of Paul's people, so I'm I'm pretty awesome like Paul is. And um, Paul's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and that's when, you know, and that then he goes on to say why that's just so flawed. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really interesting the way that um, their culture has infiltrated the church, um, which I guess we're all – susceptible yeah. to, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at, at, there's a broader question about how we engage with culture. Mm. What do we bring in? What do we let go through the keeper? What do we accept? You know, there, there's there's a bigger conversation for us to have there mm, uh, as, as a church and as Christians just in general about what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's some fun to have there. It sure is. Probably a podcast or two on the topic that already we, exists. We really should have a list of the podcasts that we need to record at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the ones that are just ideas. Ideas. You go, <laughs> actually, that's a big podcast. We should talk about that. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But for now, let's go back to One Corinthians. Yes. Um, so let's talk about the church today and unity in the church today. Mm. Um, so if we're being told to pursue unity with our spiritual family, how can we be doing this well when we butt heads with our brothers and sisters from other church denominations or Christian beliefs? Go for it, Beck. <laughs> what do you think? Um, look, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this question is that we are unified. The spiritual reality is that we are unified. Um, we're united in Christ. We're united um, with each other Um, by the spirit. And that's actually a pretty big theme in 1 Corinthians. Um, We see it in chapter 10, 11, 12, probably elsewhere as well. Um, And so I guess when you get worried about how, like how we're not really very unified as a church, I guess we can take encouragement from the fact that the spiritual reality is we are united. It doesn't manifest itself that well yet. It will one day. We have a guarantee that when Jesus returns and Um, we come face to face with him, that all these things will be realized in full. But there is a real, this is not happening yet element. Mm. Um, So I just Mm. wanted to acknowledge those two things in tension. We are actually unified. Yeah. 
But I see your point. We're not yep. unified as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if we wanted to get a little uh, theological, uh, what's the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there, there's sort of two realities of the church. Uh, there's the, let's let's call it the capital C church, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of uh, group and body of believers who are gathered around Jesus. It, it's the one that Hebrews 12 describes, uh, you know, it's uh, where it compares um, uh, Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, as in, you know, the heavenly thing. And he says, but you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So you've got this sort of spiritual image of all the people who say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian, right? Uh, to confess that that is who he is. And there's millions of people uh, who do that. Uh, now, we have an earthly expression of that here at Kellyville Anglican, mm-hmm. uh, where we gather together on a, a weekly basis to express that heavenly reality. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are no denominations in the scriptures. True. Um, you know, and, and, and we, but there are churches gathered in geographical locations. Uh, and, and as we go through the book of Corinthians, Paul will talk about the order that he wants for the churches around the places mm-hmm. uh, as they gather together. Uh, so it's not wrong for us to have churches in geographical locations. We see it in the scriptures. Um, but in terms of if we want to go to that unity, let's go to the bigger picture mm. and see that there's actually something worldwide going on when we think about the church. But yes, there are um, local gatherings, there are denominations, there are differences, uh, some are big, some are minor. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the reality of, of life, you know, in the sort of Christian sphere today. Mm, mm. And I think in terms of how do we pursue unity, um, I thought of this quote and I had to Google it cause I didn't remember it in full, but it is in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty in all things charity. Mm. So that's like a little saying, I guess, that you can pin, how can I be unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ from another denomination who I might not necessarily agree all of their theology. Can you say it again, Beck? Yeah. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Mm. So no matter what, we want to be loving we want to allow people freedom in the places that scripture might not be super clear on, or it's one of those important issues, but not necessarily an essential issue. Mm. But when it comes to Christ crucified, the essentials of the gospel, um, then we need to be unified in that. Otherwise we're not really the true church. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's really helpful. Which kind of leads to our next question, because we're talking about in essentials unity, (laughs) how do we decide what the essentials are? Mm. Um, So the next question is, there are issues that divide church these days, for example, same-sex marriage, some of which are not gospel issues, but very close to the core of biblical teaching. At what point do you compromise for the sake of unity? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, And uh, I found it hard to answer on the spot on Sunday, and and I find hard to answer again, um, later in the week. <laughs> um, cause it, it is interesting in terms of what people are willing to compromise, uh, not only just for the sake of unity, but for the sake of the gospel being advanced. Mm. Um, I, I genuinely think that for a lot of churches, 
who have embraced certain aspects that we wouldn't um, or, or teachings that we wouldn't have done it for the intention that more people would come to Christ. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of me that goes, that, that warms to that. Mm. And, uh, and I go, that's, um, there's a heart there for people to come to know Jesus. Uh, and that's wonderful and, and beautiful. Um, but I, I guess when, when we come to the idea of unity um, and what we're willing to compromise, uh, there's certain things I don't think we're, well, I'm not willing to compromise on, mm. uh, which, you know, again, come to, to the authority of scripture yeah. and how you want to sort of understand what's going on. And again, uh, we, you know, we talked last week about how you actually understand the Bible, um, yeah. and the historical context to it, uh, what it's saying in the context of that, what it says in the context of the whole Bible, uh, and, and all those particular things. So, uh, that's something that for me, I go, you know, and for us as a church, we're going to hold the scriptures as the authority on matters of life and faith. Mm. Um, and, uh, but I, I just want to acknowledge that when it comes to unity, uh, you know, many people will want to share the gospel and actually go, I'm actually, I'm willing to compromise on that. And I'll go, well, I don't know if I am. Mm. Um, so, but I don't know if, I don't know if that's answering the question. I think it does because what you're saying is the authority of scripture is the line that we draw. However, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tricky thing about that is, is that, um, we do interpret the Bible in different ways. So yeah. I, I personally know Christians that truly believe that same sex marriage is not at odds with scripture at all. Totally. Um, and so they wouldn't see themselves as abandoning scripture mm. in pursuit of, um, converting more people to Christ, but you and I would think, but you have compromised scripture based on our understanding of scripture. Indeed. So it really demonstrates how important it is to, um, to learn how to interpret scripture well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and wrestle with Bibles open. Absolutely. Um, You know, I was, I was chatting to a guy on, on Sunday, uh, new to our church and he was sort of going, "What, what do you guys believe when it comes to the Bible? Um, and so we we're just, we're just having that conversation. I said, but we, we, like, I, I know people will think differently on particular things, but I don't necessarily want to, and I'm, I, we're, we need to be up for the discussion, but we mm. need to be up for the discussion with, with our Bibles open, mm. uh, and wrestling with that as opposed to just the, the cliches of today. Yeah. And we need to be open to listen to people with whom yeah. we disagree Yeah, because if you can't, if you can't answer their objections to your position, then you need to go back to your position and yes. from scripture and figure it out, not yeah. just because you heard it on a podcast yeah. somewhere. Yeah, that's right. That's right. For example. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right. So the next question um, continues to be about unity. So what do you think is the greatest cause for division in the church today and how can we be on alert for it? I have a, um, I've been thinking about this question Um uh, and uh, I, I don't know if this is a controversial answer, but I think the greatest cause for division in the church today is us. I was going to say the same oh, thing. Beck, great. <laughs> um, why were you going to say it? <laughs> because I think pride is at the heart of division because we think we're better than other people and we know better. And so we look down on people and galvanize our factions against the other side. And I think, I think it's a prideful heart that is the source of division. Yeah. Why did you think so? Yeah, uh, very, very similar. Like, I mean, I was thinking, uh, like, sin ultimately 
um, you know, and who, sin is found in sinners and that's you and mm. I. Like, so, and uh, divisions happen because people want to divide. Mm. And that's, you know, and, and Paul big, like I, it sort of really only hit me in the last, I reckon 12 to sort of 18 months or so, just how much Paul talks about unity mm. and living with one another, uh, striving to be at peace with, uh, with one another, you know, working towards full restoration, uh, bearing one another's burdens. You know, mm. there, there, there's a real deep seated thing for Paul. He's like, you guys got to do this together. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah, he's pretty down on division Yeah, and division comes from us. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's why, that's why I was sort of heading in that direction going to, you know, the greatest cause for division thinking, oh, there's issues, issues. and I was actually, it's probably me. Mm. Like, and it's, it's us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. The issues a, themselves are kind of secondary to the inclinations of our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where I was going on it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Let's leave it there. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's. <laughs> All right. The next question um, is, what should we do when we feel concerned that a ministry or church event might not be putting Jesus at the center and rather could be focusing on other things like image, status, power? Yeah. What do you think, Beck? I would think, as we were just talking about, um, to before you bring your concern to the church at large or to the leader, just just do a little heart check. Um, just double check where your own heart's at and why why you feel this is more focused on um, status or power than on Jesus. Um, and perhaps once having done that, you might know better how to proceed um, prayerfully. Um, I would also say that if you do have a concern, bring it up directly with the leader rather than have a big chat about it to all your friends and have a good gossip about it unless unless you are genuinely wanting to um, check the vibe um, on this thing. You know, I'm seeing this, what are you seeing? Um, but, yeah, that, but, but do bring your concerns forward because we are called to keep each other accountable mm. and the holiness of the temple, the church being the, the temple, which is the metaphor that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians, we've got to keep the temple holy. So if you have a concern that there's impurity coming into the church, then I think we we need to be brave and courageous, but with love, bring our concerns to the people um, for whom it is relevant. Um, so there's, that's just a few thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think through what it might look like to have a ministry or a church event uh, where its focus is more on image and status and power for us. Um, yeah, I was just trying to think, what does, what does that look like? Um, I, I, yeah, but I, I couldn't sort of, I couldn't feel like I could sort of come up with I don't think we do it here. I, honestly, I don't think we do it here. Yeah. Um, um, well. And I wouldn't want to point the finger at other churches either. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We, 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 we need to... Uh, we, we need to just make sure we're doing what we mm. need to do to make sure Jesus is genuinely at the center. Mm. Um, you know, and, but also not necessarily, uh, uh, when it, I sort of want to say, I'll just put it out there anyway. Um, but I don't think we need to be scared of things like image and brand. They have mm -hmm. a place but, and they 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 need to be servants of us helping people understand Jesus. Mm. 
Mm. Um, like status and power, like there, there's always um, uh, those dynamics at play. Uh, and I, we need to just know where they sit mm. as opposed to going, you can't have any status, can't have any power. Well, Paul talks a lot about power, mm. um, but he gives it a particular concept. So I think, you know, James is talking this Sunday, he doesn't have a microphone to um, <laughs> chime in, but he is talking about where is the power in the kingdom of God. Mm. So power's, power's there. It's not like it's neutral or devoid. Mm. It's just where you go looking for it mm. and uh, how Jesus interprets those particular things. You know, he wants us to have the status that we're servants, you know. Um, so all, all those things have a place. Mm. Um, uh, so, yeah, anyway, I don't know if that's overly controversial. I don't think so. And just as you're talking, I think we need to acknowledge the inherent um, status and power in the people who are on the platform at church as well. Um, that's not really relevant to the question potentially, but I think there right. is an inherent yeah. power and status yeah. involved in being a church leader Yeah, and people abuse that and we've seen that. Um, it's gone badly lots of times. It has. So yeah, if you do see something like that, then yeah. if you see something, say something, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. bring it to the light because um, we want to be a a people of purity yep. that glorifies God as a body. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, the next question is a nice theological question. Um, if we're going to stand at the end um, of days, clothed in Christ's righteousness before God, blameless and all those things, then why should we pursue holiness now? Yes. Uh, you just need to read Jerry Bridges' book, Pursuing Holiness. Simple. No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good book, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, Jerry Bridges, uh, I think he may have gone home to be with the Lord now, has he? don't yeah. know. He's pretty old. Um, James has got the chatbot out. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, But yeah, he, he has a book called Pursuing Holiness mm -hmm. uh, and it's brilliant in answering the question. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other place that uh, I, I went when we answered this question on Sunday uh, was the end of Romans 5, beginning of Romans 6 where Paul essentially answers this question. He goes, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, Romans 3 and 4 is all about, you know, you are a sinner. Romans 4, you're justified. You are good in God's sight. It's all taken care of. You know, it gets to the end of Romans 5 and, you know, this sort of doxology of praise to sort of God for, for what he's done and where grace beats sin. Uh, and, you know, the, then the question comes in, well, if grace beats sin, surely we should sin heaps <laughs> so that grace keeps growing. Uh, and he comes and goes, absolutely not. You know, and he, he talks about what it means to be united to Jesus. Mm. You know, we're united in his baptism, in his death, in his resurrection. He gets this point. He says, you, you, another way to think about it is you're dead to sin. Mm. Uh, it's sort of like the little climax there in, in Romans 6. He says, you are dead to sin. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I mean, just think conceptually about that for a moment. If you're dead to something, it's got no power. It's all done. It's all taken care of. It has no no, uh, no, no impact. It's all dealt with. And that's sort of what Paul is saying at the beginning here mm. uh, when it comes to the Corinthians. Uh, you know, you are good. But yet um, uh, the very next sentence in Romans 6 is um, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Mm. And you go, well, hang on. What's the point of even saying that, Paul? You've just told me I'm dead to sin. Like it's completely taken care of. In the next sentence, you know, you said, don't let it reign. Don't let it be the king of your life. And so I think we need to wrestle with theologically what's going on here. 
uh, in that what Jesus has done for us is he's ultimately paid the price all taken care of. Mm. Um, but yet we still live with the presence of sin, the power and the penalty sin of being taken care of, mm. but we still live with the presence of it. And then where will we be, um, uh, you know, when the presence is gone, well, it's heaven. Mm. Uh, and until that moment, we live with this tension of going, the power and the penalty of sin have been taken care of. You're dead to it. Like it can't hurt you, uh, you know, because the penalty of sin is death. And well, death's been taken care of. The power has been taken care of. The presence of it's still here. Mm. Uh, and that's what he's wrestling with. That's why he can say those two things. Uh, and that's why Paul can start his letter and go, you guys are sanctified. Mm-hmm. But you're also called to be his holy people. It's the same sort of idea that's coming through in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 as it is halfway through there in Romans 6. Mm, mm. And the whole rest of 1 Corinthians is all about how to strive for holiness. So it's all very consistent within Paul's argument. And like we talked about last time, it's be who you are. It doesn't make sense to be holy, be made holy by Christ, and then to just flick holiness to the side in the way you live your life. Yes. It just doesn't make sense. Yes. It's illogical. Yes. So, and the other thing we spoke about is, um, you know, that the change that happens when you are saved is you are, you are a new creation in Christ. You know, where's that? Two Corinthians? Um, mm-hmm. that, that 517. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Let's go with it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, there's a newness. Your fundamental identity has changed. Uh, and that, that, moment in time where you cross from death to life and, you know, slavery to freedom, uh, is extraordinary, uh, Mm. and amazing. It's why Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You start again, you have a new identity, Mm. uh, and understanding that go, helps you go, oh, now I need to pursue holiness because I've changed. Mm. I have a new identity. I'm, I'm Christ's now. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, um, uh, I'm not under the, the devil and his, you know, I, like I've been freed from that, mm. um, been ransomed from it. So I think when you understand just the, what's happened at that particular point, mm. uh, you know, th- this question of why would you pursue holiness isn't a question at all. You go, yeah. I want to, yeah, I desire to. Yeah. Yeah. Really helpful. All right. That kind of leads on to our next question. Um, we've kind of talked about it already a bit. Mm. I thought sanctification was an ongoing process, not in the past. Uh, yes. Yes to both. Yes to both. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yes. Uh, so a- a- again, it's, it's, it's understanding that, um, uh, we are sanctified. Mm. A- and as I said, you know, when I went, went to this verse, uh, you know, it's tense is in the past, uh, it's passive, and uh, it's it's a declaration. Mm. Uh, it's it's saying you are sanctified. Uh, it's the word that we we use for holy. It's the same word. Um, comes up again later. Uh, and um, uh, the way Paul is using the word here, it's it's declarative mm. uh, in saying you are completely holy, uh, and you only get that um, by Christ's work. Um, and so, but yet. As we've just seen, mm. we're still called to be holy. Mm. We're, we're called to continue to pursue sanctification, mm. to, to pursue holiness being set apart in the world because there's a change that's happened there. Because yeah. it's interesting, he doesn't say, if we just wanted to do about the, the ongoing thing, I think he would have started to the church of God in Corinth, um, be his holy people, you know, just keep pursuing holiness, but he doesn't. He, he says to those sanctified yep. uh, and 
Paul to be his holy people. He wants to make two points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we can get a bit confused because the Bible uses one set of words and then theologians use another, like they use the same words to mean slightly different things. So sanctification in the Bible is usually about that idea of God has made you holy already, like already done in Christ. But then theologians in their systematic theologies will write about um, sanctification as a process of becoming yes. made holy, yes. um, which is also a biblical idea. That's the assumption of the entire New Testament, as we've been saying, that sin still is in our lives as Christians and we're being made holy, but we are holy. So that that might be where some of the confusion can come from, mm. is they're both kind of called sanctification, mm. but one is a positional sanctification, with, that is we yes. are made, we have, a, we have a status of yes. being made holy, and that's what you're talking about. In the, in the past tense. And then there's also progressive sanctification where yep. we're being made holy. And when I learned about those two things in Bible college, it blew my mind because I'm like, it gave me so much freedom mm. um, to know that I am made holy, but also gave me motivation. that's not based on guilt mm. to be who I was. So that's why I share about that um, yeah. because I found it so helpful. And yeah, I, Normally, you know, and again, you're right, like Paul uses a different word. Like in Romans, he uses the justification word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a different word than he's using here. Um, you know, and again, it's got that declarative aspect to it. Uh, and, you know, so classically in theology, you talk about justification and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the easy way to remember them is justification is what God has done for you. Mm-hmm. And sanctification is what God is doing in you. Mm, nice. Um, as a very simple way to sort of distinguish those two things mm. and what one Corinthians says, this is what God's done for you Yeah, to be called his holy people is what he wants to do in you. Nice. Yep. Cool. All right. Now this next question might be more addressed in your sermon next week, James. I'm not sure exactly what the passage is, but I'll ask it and, um, maybe you can lip sync to <laughs> like or something. I don't know <laughs> since you don't have a microphone. Um, but what does verse 17 mean? Verse 17 says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And the question is, aren't we meant to present the gospel as clearly and articulately as we can? Is that something that will be addressed next week? Uh, to an extent. Okay. Yes. Uh, James, James is nodding. Yes, he's nodding. Uh, he's not lip syncing, uh, but he's <laughs> I don't not... even know how that would work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was just, my mind just went to what, what's your favourite, you know, bad lips, lip syncing moment. Um, but uh, we can talk about that in a moment. Um, <laughs> uh, focus. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think we are asked to present the gospel uh, as clearly and um, in an articulate fashion. Um, but what are we presenting? Mm. Uh, and I think that's what Paul goes to here. Uh, he, he, and, and to your comment of the, the people of the day, mm-hmm. uh, who would come in and be swayed by the, the orator, the, the mm. sophist, mm. uh, you know, the, the smooth talker, mm. uh, who comes in and just goes, you know, oh, how, how amazing they go, how good's that? Mm. How's that? You know, Paul, you need to do that. And I think what he's saying to the, the culture of the day is, don't be swayed by that. Mm. Uh, we've got a message and it's the cross of Christ. Uh, and that's the power. Yeah. The power is not in how amazing you can put together a sentence, uh, what the magic things you can do with words and, you know, uh, the way you can make things rhyme and repeat. And, you know, he's saying that's not the power. 
the mm. power is in the simplicity that Jesus died for you. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we'll look this week, um, 2 verse 2, I think is, uh, you know, um, at the heart of what Paul is sort of driving at here is that he resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm. Uh, that's what Paul wants them to know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's concerned about listeners being caught up mm. in the speaker rather than in the message. Yeah, nice. I really like that. Mm. Yeah. So what is next week all about? James. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, uh, we're going to continue on on that theme. Yep. Uh, you know, verse 18 just starts off, you know, four. So there's the connecting in there. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And Paul just dives into that particular moment uh, and then just sort of off he goes and you sort of can't stop him for about a chapter and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, he really sort of unpacks that, you know, foolishness, wisdom, uh, and, and what is the central aspect that he wants the Corinthians to know when it comes to the cross of Christ. Uh, and, um, yeah, James is going to unpack uh, the rest of chapter one and all of chapter two. Uh, is is where we'll be uh, for this week. So it's good to read ahead. Yeah, if definitely. You can. Do, Do you, some homework. Yeah, it's good to come to church ready, ready to hear God's word, not hearing it for the first time. So read ahead. Let's do that. All right, thank you everyone for joining us and we'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15 p.m. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us online. You can find out more information at www.kac.sydney. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.